listening to the Women's Online Wellness Podcast, a podcast all about your health and wellness issues that affect you every day. We want to educate, entertain, and maybe make you giggle a little along the way. No annoying statistics or jargon here, just information you can use every day to be healthier, happier, and less boring. All right, here's your host, OBGYN Dr. Ron Eaker. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Women's Online Wellness Thirsty Thursday. I'm out in my pseudo studio and it's about 125 degrees out here. The air conditioning is not working again. So if I start to get sweat all over me, just know I'm working for you. I'm directing my energies towards you. So if I start breaking out in a flop sweat, just know that I am passionate about what we're talking about tonight. We're talking about the importance of mindset and the importance of the serenity prayer in particular as it relates to COVID-19 because we are dealing with so much anxiety and stress and we've been doing that for three months now. I mean, three months now we've been dealing with this. So people are getting to a point where they're getting very anxious and I understand that. I get that. I'm there. I'm right there with you. So I wanted to kind of take a little bit of a different tack tonight and talk about some mindset, talk about some things that are Again, things that you can use, things that you can begin to do today that will help you navigate through these uncertain times. And as I was thinking about this over the past week, one thing that kept continually coming to my mind was the serenity prayer. And many of you are very familiar with that. It's a very simple prayer that has been around since the 1920s. Reinhard Niebold, a American theologian, is responsible for and given credit for this particular prayer. It's very popularized, used quite often in groups like Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, this Reinhard Niebold is really an interesting guy. He was a theology professor at, at Union Theological Seminary. He was actually a political commentator. He wrote essays on ethics. I mean, he was really a a polymath when it came to his career. But he is probably best known to most of us with the serenity prayer. And there's many different versions of that. That's one of the things as I was researching this that really surprised me. There's a number of different versions, but I really like the one that I want to quote for you tonight. And it's very simple, very to the point. Most of you can say it along with me. It says, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change. Let me repeat that. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and importantly, the wisdom to know the difference. There is no better approach to all this we're dealing with with COVID-19 than this serenity prayer. And you know what's fascinating about these types of things? Because this is expressing a thought that literally has been around for millennia. And as I was doing my research, I really fascinated, came across several versions, tweaks and twists of this particular approach. It just illustrates when you look at almost any type of truth. It's been expressed for years and years by a variety of different people in a variety of settings because there's this consistency, this universality of truth that comes through. So I was looking and I went back even to to ancient times. Epictetus, who was one of the great Stoic philosophers in the first century AD, and he wrote this, make the best use of what is in your power 
and take the rest as it happens. Listen for the similarities here. Make the best of what is in your power and take the rest as it happens. Some things are up to us and some things are not up to us. This was a guy who was writing when Jesus was walking around. So this is universal in its application and just even more applicable today. Our opinions are up to us. Our impulses, our desires, our aversions. In short, whatever is of our own doing is our own. You even can go back to the 8th century and there's a Buddhist saying, which I thought was really remarkable. It said, if there's a remedy for when trouble strikes, what reason is there for dejection? And if there is no help for it, what is the use in being glum? You see, it's saying the same things, but just in a little tweak and twist on each one of those. And it all applies to this COVID. I mean, there's not every day that I get people coming in and saying, when is this going to change? When are we going to go back to work? When are we going to stop wearing masks? When are we going to be getting the vaccine? When are we going to get the treatment? These are things we don't control. None of us do. Anyone who tells you when that those things can happen is guessing. We're gathering data daily, trying to make those suppositions, trying to make the, the inferments from this data. But the data changes every week. I mean, in our office, we meet every week just to determine do we need to do something differently because things change that much. I love the quote on models, you know, how much we've been putting on these models trying to predict the future with regards to these things. Let me tell you, even the scientists' crystal ball is busted. You look at these models, just remember this and you'll never go wrong. All models are wrong. Some are useful. So much of the infer, so much of the predictions that we're using to try to answer these very important questions are based on suppositions that literally can change. So we don't have any control over that. We have no idea when these things are going to change. We can do our best to predict, but the reality is that whatever you see on Facebook, whatever you read in the New York Times, whatever the president says, whatever even the scientists say, it is their best guess at the time. These are answers we don't have any control over at this point. There are some things we can control. And as the serenity prayer indicates, the key is the wisdom to differentiate those things and then put our energies, our efforts, our prayers, our actions towards the things we can control. We can't control when the, the football season is going to start. We can't control if a particular business is going to open so you can go get your nails did. We can't control a lot of factors. So let those go by the wayside if you have no individual control over that and focus on the things you can. And that's what my focus tonight will be on is the things that you can control that can impact your wellness now and in the future. Not just now, but in the future. I love this final reconstruction of the serenity prayer that actually predated it and it kind of has a mother goose almost a sousical sound to it this is from uh, w.w bartley and i love this is even this is something you could teach your kids for every ailment under the sun there is a remedy or there is none if there be one try to find it if there be none never mind it and, and i love the way that says it in a simplistic fashion but it gets across the same idea. There are things we can control. There are things we can't control. And some of that, that perception of what those things are can be different for each of us. 
That's another important thing. There's this, there's this thing called locus of control. It's our perception of how we interact with the world. Each of us has one. Most of the time it's kind of mixed. We tend to think of two locuses of control. One is what we would call external and one is what we call internal. External is oftentimes thought of as the victim mentality. That you feel like you have no control. That everything outside of you is what controls your circumstances. You are the victim. You are simply a pawn in this game of life. That you have, have no influence on what happens to you in your life. That's an external locus control. And there are very, very few people who are always on that end of the, it's a spectrum. Most of us fall somewhere between this totally external victim mentality and total internal, which means you have complete control that everything that happens in your life is totally and 100% dependent on what you do. Now, both of those extremes, quite honestly, are fraught with problems. And that's why this, this mixture of the two is really where most of us fall. And the more internal locus of control you have, not the extreme, but the more you feel like you have some ability to make decisions that will impact your life, oftentimes the more productive you can be. It's this whole idea of knowing the things that you can influence and then putting your energies towards that. As it pertains to COVID, in particular, there's so many things that we don't control. We have to dig and look for the things that we can. You know, we think about something like a vaccine. We're all focusing on that vaccine. That vaccine is going to be the secret to us getting back into the, into the real world and reestablishing and grabbing our life and jumping back into the economy and our relationships. And we're putting so much hope on that vaccine. And, and it's, it's rightly placed. We will get a vaccine. There was a little doubt at the very beginning because there are other viruses like HIV that we do not have a vaccine for because of the nature of the virus. But we're already seeing now that the studies are indicating that yes, we will have a COVID vaccine. The vaccine against the coronavirus is going to be successful to a degree. We don't know when we're going to get it. They're talking about maybe 2021 at the beginning of the year. I think they're being way too optimistic to think September. I think it's from what I've read more like January, February. But when you think about a vaccine, there's several caveats. Number one, we still don't know how long the vaccine is good for. Is it going to be six months? Is it going to be six years? Is it going to be 60 years? We don't know. We have no idea. We don't really know the degree of protection. So again, we're going back to these things that we don't have answers to. If we spend all our time fretting and worrying and being anxious about things that there is no way you or I could know that answer, if we spend all our energies focused on that, we're going to end up being very frustrated and we're going to be angry and we're going to feel helpless. We're going to feel hopeless. So again, going back to that serene, I'm going to keep referring back to the serene prayer, knowing the things that we can control, knowing the things we can't, focusing our energy there and not being burdened by the things that we are completely out of our control. And a vaccine is one of those. I mean, who knows if this vaccine works? We don't know if it's going to be something that has to be done yearly. I mean, quite honestly, we don't even know if this is going to be the last pandemic in the next two or three years. 
You read a lot of the literature and it's really in ways somewhat frightening when you look at the number of viruses that are contained in even just bats where we feel like this arose from. There are hundreds of additional viruses that potentially down the road may have the same potential to be a SIRS, a MARS, a MERS, or, or a, a COVID. So there are no guarantees when it comes to what we're dealing with right now, except, and this is, this is really the bulk of what I want to talk about tonight, except when it comes to your own personal wellness. That is the only guarantee that we have when it comes to dealing with this virus. And I want to expand on that, and I want to give you some practical ways that you can maximize your own, something you can do about. Don't waste your time on these other things. And if you want to sit around at a happy hour and, and debate with your friends about it, I'm already getting flop sweat on my, on my shirt here. I apologize for that. But uh, if, if I, I'm going to have to hydrate here, it's like I'm running a race. I'm going to start hydrating a minute because I'm sweating so much already. I mean, you think about, Think about your happiness. Just to, I just want to illustrate how important this is about personal responsibility and your health and wellness. Think about happiness. What are the things that make you happy? What is it at the very core that creates joy and happiness in your life? And it's going to be different for everyone. Everybody's going to have a different approach to that. It may be relationships. It may be work. It may be creativity. It may be your spiritual relationship. Whatever it is that drives your happiness at its core in most instances relies the the importance of your physical and emotional well-being if you're not physically healthy or emotionally healthy then achieving that happiness whatever it is for you may not be impossible but it's going to be more difficult now that's not to say people who have physical illness or physical maladies that they had no connection to uh, from a causation. I mean, you look at people like Johnny Harrison Tata or, or Stephen Hawking or Christopher Reeve. I mean, these people were physically in the worst shape possible because of the universe, yet they still were very happy. So it's not, they're not mutually exclusive. But if you look at most of the things that you individually need for your happiness and your security and your enjoyment, you need to be physically well. That's even more important in this day and time. Every study that's been done, every study that has looked at the virulence, the amount of destruction done by COVID-19, everyone has said that the key factor influencing that is what we call comorbidities. Illnesses piled on top of illnesses, hypertension, diabetes, uh, asthma, other lung conditions, being overweight. I've mentioned this before. The number one risk factor for severe disease from COVID-19 in people under the age of 50 is being overweight. So I just, I'm illustrating this just to make sure you understand the importance of this, not just right now, but for the next pandemic, because there will be another pandemic. There will be. The thing that you can do, that you actually can influence, is getting in the best health possible. And I want to focus on just one aspect of that tonight, and that's prevention. I think we would all agree that preventing something is much better than treating something. 
I mean, I'd much rather take my car and get the oil changed every few months than get caught on the side of the road with the engine locking up and I'm having to dial 1-800-CARS-FOR-KIDS. Prevention is key. And there's so much now with our knowledge base, there's so much that we can do as individuals from prevention. A prevention, I don't, I, w- I want you to understand there's a little difference, uh, some nuances between prevention, early detection, and treatment. Prevention is actually identifying risk factors, identifying things that if, if not altered could potentially lead you to a medical problem. It's understanding your risk profile, understanding the big picture with regards to your health and wellness. Early detection is a little nuance different. Some people think mammograms, for example, are prevention. No, mammograms actually are early detection. Mammograms do nothing to prevent breast cancer. All they can do is detect it early, which is a good thing because we know survival rates are much better. So any of you mammogram haters out there just need to get get familiar with the science. And I, you, know, you guys are almost as bad. Some of those mammogram haters who think that causes cancer, or I put them on the same level as the vaccine haters. I mean, you're just not looking at the science. I'm sorry. I know that's going to make some of you mad. But the reality is that's early detection, which is a wonderful thing, as opposed to prevention. Now, that can be distinguished from a pap smear. Now, pap smear, it goes beyond early detection. Yes, it can pick up a early cervical cancer, but it also picks up cells that, if left alone and nothing happened over time, could develop into a cancer. So now we're getting into prevention because you've identified something and you can do something about it. Again, going back to serenity prayer, you can't do anything about some things, but you can, if you have an abnormal pap smear, many times make some changes, do things differently that will prevent that from developing in cancer. With breast cancer, if you know as part of your prevention, as part of your awareness, prevention is two things. It's awareness and implementation. So based on the awareness, if you know you have a strong family history, if you know you have some genetic predisposition, if you know there are uh, these risk factors of, of uh, the multitudes of, of different things that make you at higher risk, yes, you can then do things to prevent that from developing into a breast cancer. So I hope that it's, it, it, it's, a, it's a subtle difference, but it's an important difference because when we talk about prevention, we're talking about awareness and implement, implementation. And awareness is a tricky bird. That's something that's really kind of tough at times. In fact, this whole science of, of longevity and wellness is evolving based on this model of prevention, of awareness, trying to figure out for you as an individual, what are your risk factors? Do you have genetic predispositions? I just got a profile back from 23andMe and I ran it through another website that literally gave me a 45 page result of all these different what they call SNPs, single nucleotide polymorphisms, all these little things that are nuanced that can influence my risk for being overweight or for uh, processing certain vitamins. So it allows me to identify that. And I mean, this is a $100 test. Now, come on. It, It allows me to identify that and then I can change my behavior. This is prior to any disease developing. I can change my behavior such that it can potentially avoid that down the road. So prevention is key. And the first step is that awareness, understanding what are your risks. And again, 
it can be it can be very confusing at times. We talk about family history of breast cancer. Well, it's not just someone in the family who had breast cancer. It's who had breast cancer. How old were they? Are there other people in the family? What type of breast cancer? What was the age at which they developed it? Did they have any genetic testing? All those things influence your risk. So it's it it, it, it can be a very complex process. And it's important that you educate yourself, but more importantly, partner with someone who can help walk you through that and help identify those things so that that awareness is something that you could actually utilize. Uh, one of the big problems, and maybe I shouldn't even go on this tangent right now, but it's, it's something that's really heavy on my heart right now. One of the biggest problems in our medical system is we are so disease-oriented our focus is so much on breaking or, or fixing the machine when it breaks, just replace the cog if it breaks, but not trying to figure out why the cog broke in the first place. I think if there was a way that we could become much more prevention-oriented, I love VIP, I think that really stands for value and prevention. And I think if there is a way in our medical system and and I hate to say this and be pessimistic, but at least in my lifetime, I'm not sure I'm going to see that globally. There are ways that we can institute that type of individualized, personalized care, but I don't know a way that that can be done universally, uh, certainly not for 350 million people. I mean, you, how many of you have gone to, and I'm not throwing stones here at Primary Cares, but I just understand they are so swamped right now, and even in the past, I mean, the average primary care person's seeing 20, 30 patients a day, as, as am I, and there's just not enough hours in the day to devote the time that it truly takes to sit down and design a wellness program, a preventive program, and then be able to follow through with that and make sure it, it works. We just, our system is not designed for that right now. And it's terribly frustrating on our part, and I'm sure on your part, because we're not doing what we feel like we've been called to do, and that's promote health and wellness. There are models that are changing that, and I, I'm really excited about the possibility of some of these things coming to fruition and being able to offer this idea of prevention and personalized and individualized care. But really, the buck stops with you. Each individual has to take that responsibility. The biggest healthcare crisis in this country today is not cancer, it's not AIDS, it's not COVID-19. The biggest healthcare crisis are people not making healthy lifestyle choices. Take it to the bank. So when we talk about prevention, we want you to be aware. We want you to understand that there are things like blood tests that can look at the inflammation in the body, a thing called a sed or, or a C-reactive protein. We hear that word thrown around a lot now, inflammation. Well, it's thrown around a lot right now because it's important. It's incredibly important. It's probably the underlying problem associated with heart disease, dementia, certain types of cancer, arthritic changes. Many chronic illnesses has at its foundation inflammation where there's Blood tests that we can look at that gives us a basic idea of the inflammatory status of the body. So that's a preventative tool that can be incredibly vital. You identify that, then you act on it because there's stuff we can do. We know what kind of things can alter inflammation. We know about anti-inflammatory diets. We talked about that last week, about Mediterranean-type diets where you're limiting your sugar, we're limiting flour products, we're limiting wheat, we're limiting... Uh, saturated fats. 
that can reduce the nutritional part of it. We know that exercise decreases inflammation. We know that sleep, ah, sleep is wonderful for decreasing inflammation. So it all starts with that awareness. So you, you can get those things. You can have your physician partner with you to say, let's take some time and review this blood work and let's draw up a plan. Uh, and again, I, I keep harping on this, going back to the old way of doing things. It just, it's difficult and we've got to find a way to break through that. Um, and hopefully we're going to very, very, very soon. The second part of prevention, once you have the awareness, and that can involve testing, that can involve uh, checking on certain instruments to determine if you're more likely to have an issue, say, with a mood disorder, or certainly weight, uh, doing a body composition analysis, or checking for hearing, or checking for sight, or balance, or... I mean, there's just a whole gamut of preventative of tools to begin that awareness, that understanding of what are my risks. But the second part of this, which is absolutely critical, is the application. You've got to know what to do with that. You've got to know, once you have that information, where am I going to go with it? And again, it goes back to this idea of there are a lot of things you can't do anything about. I mean, if you walk outside your door and fall on a banana peel and break your leg, there's not a whole lot you can do except for not put banana peels on your back porch. But that's something you can't control at the point. But you can control your cholesterol or you can change your inf inflammation. You can alter your diet. You can change your lifestyle. You can learn stress management techniques. So you can take this identification and awareness and put it into practice. And that's where my vision for the future, my vision for my perfect world for medical care is a place where you could spend time talking with the patient more than that seven or eight minutes that the HMOs give everybody for that visit, that, that uh, yearly visit. And again, I'm not, I'm not throwing stones. I'm as guilty of this you know, if, I mean, un understandably, if I've got to see 35 people in a day, I can't spend an hour every day with folks. In the current model, my prayer is that will change. And quite honestly, we're working on ways to make that happen. But you come up with a plan, and then you implement that plan. And you could not only improve health, but good gosh, you could, you could save hundreds of thousands of dollars a year almost per patient. You know, it costs on an average $88,000 a year if somebody develops type 2 diabetes through medications, through testing, uh, through all the instrumentation and the particular problems that can arise. So you just magnify that when you think about the epidemic of type 2 diabetes we're beginning to see in this country and you think, well, gosh, that's largely a preventable disease. It is largely something that we can stop. You know, you, you want to put your, your money towards something worthwhile, uh, put it towards prevention of type 2 diabetes, and you're going to save this country financially. We are going to bankrupt our country in the next 10 or 15 years unless we embrace this idea of prevent, preventive medicine and wellness focus. Stop thinking about the disease as much as the cause of disease and then take steps to prevent that. That's going to be the key. It's that awareness and that 
application. You know, knowledge is power. There's no doubt. Knowledge is power. But the application of knowledge is wisdom. That's where you get the bang for your buck. Now, as a part of this plan, and I know this all sounds wonderful, but you've got to have, you've got to have structure to it. You've got to say, okay, I've, let's take an example of someone who uh, is it, they become aware that they're at high risk for breast cancer. Maybe they have a strong family history. Maybe they have a, look at this. Look how hard I'm working for you guys. I mean, I'm glad this is up here. You'd think I'd wee-weed in my pants if it was dripping down there, but this is, I'm working hard for you guys. Give me a thumbs up. Appreciative. <laughs> I just, I promise I wasn't wearing a stained shirt to start with. Um, to make the application of that awareness real, and we're all about real here, you've got to make your plan smart. S-M-A-R-T. It's got to be simple. I mean, if you come in and I give you a 15-step approach to getting well, you're going to remember about two of those by the time you're in the parking lot. That's just not going to be practical. So it's got to be simple. We use this in our weight program all the time. We tell folks our approach is very, very simple. And it is because that's the only type of approach. That's the only plan that's going to be doable in the long term. And we're talking about the long term here. We're not talking about short-term solutions. We're not talking about going on and going off. When it comes to your health and your wellness, you, you've got to have a 15, 20, 30, 40-year horizon. So it's got to be something that's simple. And the great news is most of these interventions to get you healthy are really simple. There's nothing complex about it. It's a matter of putting it together, being consistent and persistent. This, the M is being measurable. Every goal that you have when your health is in, in play has to be able to be tracked, to be measured. That's the only, if, for, for example, exercise. Don't just say, okay, next week I'm going to be more active. Eh, ain't going to happen. You're not going to do it. Don't tell me that. I don't want to hear that. But if you say, on Monday for 30 minutes, I'm going to walk. On Tuesday for 20 minutes, I'm going to do a stationary bike. On Thursday uh, for... 25 minutes, I'm going to lift weights. It's something that's measurable. It's defined. It's it's structured. That's a key to success when it comes to these plans for how to implement, whether it's an exercise program, whether it's trying to prevent breast cancer. It has to be achievable. Um, when I was in high school, I was pretty much the equivalent of a hobbit. <laughs> I, was, I was a short guy, a little bit dumpy, uh, didn't have hairy feet. But I was, I was not the specimen of athleticism that, uh, that you would have, you would have uh, wanted at that age. And I always wanted and envied those people who could dunk a basketball. Oh, wow. And then Spud Webb. I don't know if you probably remember Spud Webb. He was this guy who was like 5'7 or 5'8 and was playing in the NBA and could jump and dunk a basketball. So I thought, ah, there's hope. Maybe one of these days... If I become dehobitized, I can actually dunk a basketball. But the reality is that was never going to happen. You have to accept the reality of the situation when you're making these plans. If you weigh 300 pounds, don't say, I want to lose 150 pounds next month. That's not realistic. That's not going to happen. You have to set achievable goals, set many small goals along the way, celebrate the victories, and then move on. It has to be real world. You have to put it in the context of your life. 
if if you have a high risk of breast cancer and I tell you you have to eat a certain way, but your budget has been slashed in the last few months and you're not able to buy the type of foods that you want to buy that would fulfill this, it's very unrealistic for me to expect that that's going to be able to be followed. So you've got to contextualize, and it goes back to this concept of individuality. None of this stuff happens in a vacuum. You have to look at the family. You have to look at the individual. You have to put it in context. If I can't design a plan that realistically fits into your life, it's set for failure. These plans are not meant to be one-size-fits-all. Whatever it is, whether it's diet, nutrition, exercise, stopping smoking, it all goes back to the concept of how it fits in the book that is your life. You adapt the plan to the person, not the person to the plan. And then finally, timely. It's critically important whenever you make any decision with regards to prevention, taking action for your health, that you put a time on it. I'm going to do this, but it has to be realistic. It has to be contextual. I'm going to do this in this amount of time. I'm going to do this in this amount of time. I'm going to do this in this amount of time. That one thing can markedly impact the likelihood of you successfully completing whatever task that is. You know, prevention is the single best thing you can do. It is your vaccine against COVID-19. Getting in a good health, getting it in, into a state of wellness is your best annuity to last your, not just your lifespan, but your health span. Remember here, we're all, all about health span. Don't give me a number about, I don't want to hear about how long you live. I want to hear about how long you were physically and mentally and emotionally and spiritually engaged, doing the things you want to do, having the relationships you want to have. That's your health span. And that's the value that you want to focus on, not just any kind of numbers. There is not a single thing that you can do right now that is better than getting in a good state of health to prevent complications from this current virus and the viruses in the future. And you know, all your, all health, and this is, I'm going to close with this because I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm like the witch in Wizard of Oz. I'm starting to melt. This is all about your thoughts. It all begins with your thoughts. It all begins in your head. Remember we've talked about before, your thoughts become your actions, your actions become your habits, your habits become your character, and your character determines your legacy. But it all begins with those thoughts. That's the core of it all. It's our belief system. And what we're discovering is thoughts are amazingly powerful. The things that, that we create in our mind just are not little synapses of neurons they go, they transcend that, they go beyond that, and thoughts can become infectious, just like COVID-19, SARS-CoV-2. Even more infective, SARS-CoV-2 has an R naught, it's a calculation for its infectivity of maybe two or three. The average person with COVID-19 may infect two or three additional people. That's its R naught. Well, the R naught of thoughts is infinite. The amount of people that you can infect with your thoughts is infinite. Now, especially in this world with our ability to communicate those thoughts and express those, you know, we we can go either way. We can weaponize those thoughts or we can make those thoughts for good. You know, we've all heard many, many times that our life is largely reflective and who we are is largely reflective of the five people that we associate with the most. I think there's some truth in that. 
And it's because those thoughts are like viral particles. Those thoughts can be spread. If you spend time with five very happy people, five people who have a hopeful outlook on life, five people who are excited about the possibilities of getting up in the morning, the likelihood of you having those same thoughts and those same beliefs is magnified. You become infected, and then you can infect others. But if you spend that same time around five people who are angry at the world, who are mad at their circumstances, whose whole dependence and, and, and their, their mood is completely dependent on their number of likes on their comments or their, uh, their Twitter feed or, or what some politician is believing. I mean, I can't believe now how negative we've become even about things like masks. I mean, that's become a political issue. Wearing masks somehow identifies you as someone believing in a certain political philosophy. If you hang around people like that all the time, you're going to be infected by their thoughts. It's that simple. It's a law. It happens. All you have to do is observe it. So make an effort. Do something you can control. Forget about all the garbage you can't control. And there's a whole crap load of that out there. Forget about that stuff. Put your energies into the things that you can control. Help determine the wisdom to make the difference. And one thing you can do starting tomorrow is be one of those five people that spread that hope, that spread that joy, that spread that optimism. Infect as many people as you can. Your life's going to be better and those around you are going to be infected with that viral, that viral spiral we've been talking about from the very beginning. So start now. But don't forget, make healthy choices. See you next week, God willing. Thank you for listening to the Women's Online Wellness Podcast. To join the conversation, access show notes, and discover bonus content, join our private Facebook community by sending a request to Women's Online Wellness. If you enjoyed today's episode and want to hear more, just head over to iTunes and subscribe, rate, and leave a review. For questions about the podcast or to get more information, email Dr. Eaker at r-e-a-k-e-r at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening, and until next time, choose to be healthy. Thank you.